All right, we are live here on Decentralized Radio with Luke. Luke, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing great. I'm late, uh, but I'm really happy you guys are able to accommodate a late Australian like myself. I'm pumped to be here. Yeah, yeah. And and your last name, how do you say your last name? Is it Mikich or do you have a Aussie spin on that? I have an Aussie spin on most of my language, but you absolutely <laughs> nailed my name, man. That's uh, very rare to meet someone who pronounces that one correctly. Amazing. Well, I love it. Yeah, it's it's fun. I actually thought for some reason you're in, from New Zealand because the flag in your bio, I was like, this, I thought he was Aussie. And then I was like, wait, no, that might be New Zealand. But then I read some of your tweets. So I was like, oh, he's, he's, he's an Aussie. This, so this, this is great. Um, and I kind of want to get into, yeah, like first is, is your backstory. Cause you know, now you're a digital nomad, you know, working in the Bitcoin media space, doing a you know great job covering all the latest stuff, but obviously you had to get to this point somehow and you had to escape the grasps of, uh, you know, Australian government first. So, so maybe walk us through how that went about and you know, how liberated you feel now. Yeah, so escaping the grasps of the Australian government, that's exactly how I frame it as well. It was an escape. Uh, I was obviously not happy with the events of 2020. Uh, the events of 2020 happened. I had a small personal training business and pretty early on into 2020, I could see the direction that things would ha would be going in and the compulsory measures that would be coming down the pipeline that I wouldn't be enforcing onto myself and my clients. So I quickly closed my uh, small, uh, small personal training gym in about 2020, started looking for online work, found uh, an online job in 2021. And I was on one of the first uh, flights out of Australia after the international borders opened up in 2022. So that's kind of a little bit about my backstory and we can get into everything else. If you guys want to explore a certain rabbit hole uh, that pops up in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what was it like? What I don't know what uh, territory you're in. Um, how how bad was it during COVID? Maybe we just shed a little light there. Like, was it really really bad? So I was lucky. I was in one of the more you know hippie, uh, laid back places in Australia. Where I was living was actually called an anti vaxxer hotspot. Uh, so oh, I was boy. surrounded by <laughs> many like minded individuals. Uh, so I was on the Gold Coast. Uh, and obviously nice, Byron yeah. Bay is probably about 100 kilometers uh, from the Gold Coast. So uh, lots of like-minded individuals down there in Byron Bay. Uh, so for me personally, it was okay. There was still, you know, some lockdowns in early 2020. Uh, there was still lots of COVID Nazis. Oh, I probably shouldn't say that if, if we're on YouTube. That's but fine. there was lots of, yeah, there was lots of those types of individuals trying to force you to like wear a mask and trying to force you to like, uh, show your papers to go into the grocery stores, which I wasn't playing any part of. So day-to-day uh, -day life was really difficult in Australia for 2020 and 2021. So was this something that convinced you or like you had this mindset change because of COVID or were you already, you know, like a Bitcoiner, freedom maximalist, and then this happened and you were just like refusing to accept it on all levels? So I was orange-pilled on the economic case for Bitcoin. And I'd always disliked government, but 2020 really threw me down the yeah. libertarian rabbit hole. Nice. And, and, and what was it like leaving? Because obviously, you know, I'm assuming your family and everything, um, it's got to be a big challenge. And yeah, it sounded like you, you bought a one-way ticket. And I don't know if you've gone back, but it's kind of like similar story. We've talked to Svetsky on, on this mm -hmm. podcast and yeah, kind of similar vibe is just like get out and, you know, figure everything else out later. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, funny enough, I've actually recently partnered up with Svetsky over at the Bitcoin Times. Uh, so funny you mentioned Svetsky. He was actually the one who inspired my escape uh, out of Australia. But yeah, it was a one-way ticket. Uh, I'd never left Australia or I'd never been to another country before in my life at the age of 24. So it was shit scary going from Australia to the other side of the world in Mexico, 18-hour flight for your first international trip, packing everything up, you know, selling 20,000, oh, probably about $15,000 worth of gym equipment. That was my personal training business that I'd built up at home. Like I had a pretty comfy life and to give all of that up uh, because I wasn't a fan of what was happening in Australia, it was a pretty big decision. Uh, so the family uh, side of things was a little bit easier for myself. Uh, I kind of also made a, a an escape, so to say, from my family pretty young. I moved out of home when I was 16. So that wasn't really an issue uh, for me, but certainly leaving friends behind was a tough one. I had a dog as well that I had for five years. Uh, so I had to leave her at a friend's mm. home and pretty much permanently give her away, which was a little bit, that was probably more sad than leaving my family behind, to be honest with you. But yeah, there's certainly lots of anchors that stood in my way to leaving. And, uh, you know, I, I understand why moving to the other side of the world might not be for everyone, but uh, like obviously everybody has hurdles and I obviously encourage other people to, uh, you know, think about, you know, this theory of uh, geographical arbitrage because think about how much money I could have been paying in taxes in Australia as opposed to paying zero as a digital, uh, digital nomad. And like people just don't think about uh, the fact that you can get a higher quality of life for 70% cheaper in the other side of the world where the government actually respects you and treats you like a citizen and a customer as opposed to living in these tyrannical Western nation states like Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and even the blue states in America. So I'm really passionate about trying to motivate other people to take a leap. Uh, and, you know, I hope my story inspires somebody to do the same one day. Yeah, I think it's good to know that you have this kind of like flexibility and optionality, um, especially as someone coming from a first world country. We have, you know, a nice luxury of having uh, a more stable fiat currency, still fiat currency, as you know. Um, but yeah, we, we kind of have this flexibility. So but it is a daunting thing. And, you know, you went right to Mexico. What, what were some things that like, you know, you wish you knew or like best practices kind of for getting started with like a digital nomad life um, that, you know, a lot of people probably figure out on the way. But then there are, like you said, a whole host of people who like to be a bit more organized and plan. I'm, I'm very spontaneous, but I know some people probably wouldn't take such a, a leap without having, you know, all the a lot of, uh, you know, cross T's and dotted I's first. Yeah, so arrive in the country with some with a local currency. That's a that's like a must have. You got to have a one or two hundred dollars of the local currency. So for me, that was Mexican pesos, and you, you need to you need to know I uh, like maybe a little bit of the language as well. Like uh, like that was probably one of my biggest mistakes because everything happened so quickly. I made the decision to leave Australia in under thirty days. I, I didn't have time to practice Spanish. Uh, so learning another language is difficult, but if you're going to travel to Latin America or Mexico, uh, you can, if you learn a hundred words of Spanish, like you, you, you're going to be respected by a lot of the locals as long as you, you know, try your best. Uh, so again, a hundred words isn't a lot of words. If you learn three a day for a month, you've learned a hundred words and you, you could know your, you know, hello, goodbyes, thank yous. Where is this? Where is that? Can I have this? Can I have that? Like, that's all you really need to know if you're traveling to uh, a different country. Uh, so there, there's two kind of beginner, you know, 
beginner steps that everybody should take the money uh the language it's a really good question it's really made me think um I, I suppose they're, they're two of the essentials and obviously having an online job, that's probably the most important one because that's what uh, allows you to, uh, you know, travel abroad for an extended period of time. I actually kind of have a question on that too, because it's something that, I mean, I've had a lot of friends that sort of have done to some degree what you're doing currently with that sort of nomadic lifestyle. And I do find the idea of it appealing. Um, when you're looking though in like, like when I when I bring this idea up to anybody else, they kind of think I'm crazy. But I guess it's sort of like a normie perspective. But um, I like how do you scout like good areas? Like when you were looking in in Mexico, like how do you scout out like better areas than than other areas as far as like living situation? Because like you hear a lot of stories about like you know just like terrible things happening in like these like underdeveloped nations or whatever. But like how did you like go about that? Um, did you just ask around from other people that you knew that were already doing it? Or did you like go in hardcore research and sort of discover that for yourself? Because that's something that I've been curious to is like, I don't even know where to start as far as like, I can kind of figure out the job stuff and maybe some of the my stuff and like definitely some of the language stuff, but it's looking for location, 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 as they say. Yeah. So for me, uh, I learned a lot from one of my former employers, uh, Mark Moss. Uh, he's got a massive YouTube channel, learned a bunch of him. One of the most important lessons that I almost think of nearly every day is he used to say to me, you can become an expert in anything in f with four hours research. So I used to kind of take a similar approach to traveling to a new country. I wouldn't spend four hours, but I would spend at least 30 minutes just having a look at what are the areas of this city or place I'm going to that I really want to avoid. Because like you correctly say, uh, there are some areas in Latin America where you do need to be more careful uh, than you might need to in the West. That is true. I Overall, I broadly believe that Latin America is actually safer than the West. Uh, that's maybe a controversial statement we can get into a little bit later. But there are certain areas uh, in Latin America you do need to be a little bit more careful. In, uh, in actually traveling to. So I'd just have a look for 30 minutes before I went, okay? What are the worst places in Mexico City to be? What are the most dangerous places in Mexico City for a gringo or a tourist? And you learn pretty quickly where the no-go zones are. Uh, but like, again, I've been to some of the really dangerous places in Latin America and I've had no issues. Uh, I Somebody tried to steal a phone off me one day in Sao Paulo in Brazil. And, and they are, oh, wow. uh, Bra yeah, Brazil is one of the most dangerous uh, places in the world. Uh, I, I think I, I looked at a study recently uh, of the 10 most dangerous cities and Brazil had four of the top 10 in the entire world, which is pretty wow. funny. I, and I can back that up. Like I've been, uh, I, I was in the middle of Rio one day as well, different city in Brazil. And it's sketchy. It's really sketchy. I wouldn't want to be there at night. But uh, okay, so precautionary steps, uh, always be aware of your surroundings. Even if you are in one of these more dangerous places, if you're aware of what's going on, you should be fine. And just be uh, like the most common form of theft is going to be people trying to snatch your phone. Uh, so somebody tried to snatch my phone. Uh, he was coming past me on a bike one day, reached out, tried to grab my arm and I just moved at the last minute and he grabbed my arm and, you know, phone went flying up into the air. That's a funny story we could talk about. But apart from that, <laughs> I've been in Latin America for two years and I've had no real issues. And But I think I would have had more if I was doing stupider things. I've heard some really interesting stories of really wild things happening in Latin America. And those really wild, dangerous kind of things happen when you're, you know, you're in Medellin, Colombia, you're taking all sorts of party drugs and it's three o'clock in the morning, you're at some random stripper. 
like you're probably going to get so, so I think like you can get away with doing things like that in your local country because you fit in more. But if you're doing things like that in Colombia or Mexico, which are on average probably more dangerous than Asia, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada, uh, I 100% agree with that. So I, I think we, I could talk about the the danger and the safety of Latin America for hours. I'll, I'll pause there. Oh, for I a bet. Minute, but yeah, it's no, it's it's just using common sense, right? Like I, I've been to Colombia, Costa Rica. Um, going to El Salvador soon. It, it's just different, right? And yeah, like you said, if you're out at the club or at the bar or the pub and getting pissed and you're going to you know, be in a bad situation, that's completely your own fault. Um, but if you're just like, you know, pretty smart about it, you know, mostly being outside at the day, in the daytime, the daylight, like nothing's going to happen to you. And obviously, you know, don't be flaunting your wealth uh, which is one thing that's cool about Bitcoiners is like you don't even know like Bitcoiners are Bitcoin like have a bunch of Bitcoin. They're just like regular people. And I think that's part of the culture. That's that's really cool. I'm curious, you know, how in, in your two years, like you bounced around like as a whole, like how do you see the culture, the infrastructure in Latin America changing? And, and then I kind of want to get into probably, yeah, some specific examples of like El Salvador and Argentina that are more like Bitcoin friendly now as well and, and how that's evolving right because it seems to be you know the hotbed yeah, of it's, you know uh, there, so there's all this chaos but that's actually making it perfect for like a ground uh, zero overall infrastructure in latin america is worse than the west i don't think that's a you know a a, a controversial statement i think most people would agree with that uh, like for example, it's, it's common. You're going to find apartments in El Salvador that don't have hot water. And I think to some people coming from Canada or Australia, they see that in their shops. Uh, but I, I think you're going to see things like that. But I think overall, if you're smart about, you know, where you're going, you're going to be surprised at the quality of the, the infrastructure. Like for example, Argentina, uh, that's one of the most fascinating and beautiful countries I've ever been to. Like the architecture the architecture there it's more beautiful than any western city i've been in and i like i was lucky enough to i think i did maybe 11 or 12 different states in america in the six months that i had a base in southern california so i feel like i got a little bit of a taste of what the major cities like dallas miami new york washington uh you know uh la i, I got a taste of what they're all like and i can comfortably say uh, argentina was safer than all of them easily not even negotiable it's 80 percent cheaper literally 80 percent cheaper the quality of food is better and it is like everything's better and the architecture is more beautiful it's very european so it does really depend on where you go you can go to argentina for that or you could go to el salvador and you know el salvador is only probably marginally cheaper than the west and you can you know find situations where you don't have hot water so like the, the the spectrum of the quality of the infrastructure in Latin America, the, you get a very large uh, spectrum. So you do need to be selective about where you're going. And obviously other places, I feel like I'm picking on El Salvador. It's actually one of my favorite countries. Uh, but, you know, lots of places in Central America, it's common to like not have hot water. And that's like a luxury many Western people, uh, you know, are used to having. So there's little things like that that are quirks and differences. Um, 
I forgot the original question. What was it? The differences? Oh, I was just leading into, yeah, maybe some more Bitcoin stuff, right? Like how, how is this evolving, right? Because they're, they're obviously behind in some, like El Salvador has cleaned up their act completely. We can just talk about El Salvador because this prize is, is a good place to start. <laughs> um, is like, you know, how have you seen it evolve in just your time there? And then getting into the Bitcoin, you know, realm of that, you know, how important is Bitcoin? How much is it being used there? People hear a lot, even myself, I've had so many friends go there now, but I'm really excited to just see it for myself in a few weeks. Okay, I got a little bit of a lag there, but I caught most of your questions. So uh, my first trip to El Salvador was mid 2022. So this was just after Bukele implemented uh, the martial law. So obviously February, 2022, we had like 80 homicides or murders in El Salvador. And that's when Bukele went to war with the criminals. And I arrived probably a couple of months later, just to give everyone a little bit of a timeline. Uh, so at the time, not a whole lot of tourists had went to El Salvador. It was still, it was very in the, it was in the early stages of uh, Bukele having martial law in the country. He'd only had, you know, a couple of months of success fighting the gangs. Uh, so I arrived and, uh, you know, uh, the locals, for example, they weren't accustomed to seeing gringo, especially a gringo like myself with a fucking crazy haircut. So I was taken aback at how everybody was just staring at me because I looked different. Uh, so there's that one thing uh, about El Salvador that's interesting. And I was surprised at how easy it was to live on Bitcoin when I got there in, again, like kind of early to mid 2022. So they only did the Bitcoin law that took effect September 2021 from memory. Uh, so I was kind of like, hey, maybe I'm not going to be able to live on a Bitcoin standard. I don't like to keep a lot of fiat on me, only like $100 of the local currency to every new country I go to because it's, you know, fiat's a shitcoin. Um, so, I, so, but I was able to, uh, so I think I did a video on my first six months in El Salvador in 2022 and I spent Bitcoin over 300 times. So pretty much, you know, twice a day i could go to all of my major supermarkets get all of my meats my fruits my veggies uh, they all accept bitcoin all of your major pharmacies so if you need any you know medicine medicines obviously probably seen as a bit of a shit coin uh on decentralized radio uh waves but you can get any medicine you may need with bitcoin all of the major outlets like the big tech stores they accept bitcoin um a lot of the clothing stores and kind of sports stores a lot of them accept bitcoin uh, so if I had to guesstimate it, maybe in the city, somewhere around five to 15% of merchants accept Bitcoin. Again, very rough, conservative kind of guess there. And if you go to like Bitcoin Beach, maybe it's a little bit higher. Maybe it's like 10 to 25% of merchants accept Bitcoin down in El Zonte, Bitcoin Beach. Um, so that was kind of my experience in 2022. Uh, and then I, I, I pretty much uh, swindled uh, the girlfriend away from her parents. So I stayed in El Salvador for six months and I kind of gave her the nudge and I said, hey, you know, about time you quit that fiat job and come work with me. So now we went and traveled for a year. and We came back to El Salvador recently, about two months ago. And I'm absolutely shocked at the differences uh, of the country. Uh, firstly, it's one of the countries that's like seriously building things like, the things are happening in El Salvador. They're actually building shit. Uh, the city looks nicer every time I come back. Uh, so again, taxes are a shit coin, 100% agree. But it looks as if uh, taxes in El Salvador actually get you a little bit more bang for your buck uh, as opposed to somewhere like California where you could be getting paid 40 or 50, where you could be paying 40 or 50% of your wages in taxes, which is ridiculous. Uh, 
uh, but El Salvador, I, I came back. So after coming back to El Salvador for 12 months, I was surprised at the infrastructure, the building. It was, it's seriously growing very quickly. Uh, Bitcoin adoptions increased a little bit. Uh, I've been a little bit frustrated with one of the major uh, supermarket chains that accepts Bitcoin. Uh, they refuse to update their infrastructure. So I, I suppose this is calling them out. Update your systems. The Chivo wallet you use is a little bit slower than it was uh, 12 months ago. That's the only really negative thing that I've seen going back to El Salvador. Infrastructure is better. I forgot how friendly the people were. So I've probably been to, I think I've been to about 40 cities over the past two years, maybe 15 or so-ish countries. I don't know. I don't count them. But uh, the people in El Salvador are by far the friendliest people I've ever met. Uh, like they are so friendly. And like, again, I, I don't speak fluent Spanish and, you know, I, I look like a bit of a misfit. I deliberately, you know, dress a bit like a bogan with, you know, uh, like we we're kind of talking about how Bitcoiners appear earlier. I really lean into that. I, I So I, I don't really give a fuck about how, how I look and shit like that. And people are still really friendly to me. They treat you like a king. Uh, so it's, it's, it's like if, if you rock up an apartment, like somebody's going to come grab your bags. Like it's, it's, the people are just incredibly friendly in all aspects of life, no matter where you are. If you're at the supermarkets or you're down at the, uh, if you're at your Airbnb or you're anywhere. Uh, so that's really cool. Like it's not only the government and like the, the people working and the locals, they all seem to want tourists uh, in their country. So uh, I, I think that's everything. I might've forgotten, but I, I think that's uh, everything about El Salvador and Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. And and you touched upon a, a little bit of it. I was I was curious on like actually how the infrastructure is around accepting Bitcoin for payment. Like is it are the wallets like decent? Are are they using lightning everywhere? Like maybe shed some light on on that because that's something that, you know, here in the US, again, like using Bitcoin on a daily basis just doesn't really happen. Like I've sold things and bought things at farmers markets and tried to accelerate this but again it's it's very few and far between outside your local bitcoin meetups yeah great question uh because sometimes you go to in a supermarket and you know you say uh um uh, on bitcoin can i pay with bitcoin and sometimes they say oh yeah i've got it but i don't know how to use it and if you just kind of push them and say no no come on uh it's all muy facile it's very easy it's easy uh, you can kind of like push them and guide them through the process. And some of them don't know the difference between uh, on-chain Bitcoin and Bitcoin Lightning. But 90% of the merchants who accept Bitcoin in El Salvador, they have the option to accept Lightning, but most of them just don't know what it is. So if you kind of like try to get next to them, stand next to them and kind of like walk them through how to use the application, typically you're not going to have any issues. Uh, but sometimes they need a bit of a nudge. Uh, the only, uh, so most of them accept Lightning. Uh, it's like it's amazing a lot of them use different implementations of lightning though so like starbucks for example uses uh, ebex mercado and it's yeah. super fast no problems like flawless works flawless every single time the major supermarkets use an old outdated version of the chivo wallet so i've noticed that in 2022 i used to get a transaction like confirmed in like 10 seconds so the lightning transaction would pop up on their end in about 10 seconds and you can go uh, but coming back in 2023 and 2024, I noticed that sometimes I was waiting around for transactions for like 30 seconds, maybe two minutes, just for a lightning transaction to pop up on their end. And that's because they refuse to update their systems or get a newer version of the Chivo wallet. So again, there's challenges, there's differences depending upon where you're spending the Bitcoin. Uh, but overall, it's improving. 
uh, overall, Bitcoin adoption is increasing. Uh, and it's it's really cool. Like uh, I anecdotal uh, experience and examples, but I got the girlfriend's uh, brothers and parents onboarded onto Bitcoin maybe back in 2022, and I'm pretty sure we actually sniped the big uh, the bottom at like 15k. So we always get messages every couple of months, and you know the, the brothers are happy. Oh, Bitcoin's at 35,000, 50,000. Uh, so you know, the, the everyday people are using Bitcoin, which is which is cool and. Uh, anybody can figure out how to use it. So we obviously, we've trained up the girlfriend's dad to use it and he's able to help us get some local uh, currency if we're overseas uh, into the girlfriend's bank from time to time. So uh, it's pretty easy. That's incredible. Yeah, because basically the biggest thing I was curious about is like, you know, all this hype around Bitcoin, but like the average El Salvadorian, like what do they think about it? Do they even understand it? Is that progression like happening? And are they like bullish on Bitcoin as well? Or is it kind of just like, you know, there's, like you said, like 10 to 20% who are kind of embracing it. Maybe they're not like fully deep, like down the rabbit hole like we are, but they still understand that this is very important. And yeah, I'm, I'm curious, maybe you could elaborate on, on that a little bit, like on average, a sentiment of like any El Salvadorian. On average, El Salvador is the easiest country to orange pill someone or have a conversation about Bitcoin. Uh, by far, it's not even, uh, it's not negotiable. Uh, if I had to guess, I've actually seen a couple of studies. I've made some videos on El Salvador. I think the studies show something like between two to 7% of all the Chivo uh, wallets are still being used on like a weekly basis from memory. So obviously if, if, if that represents like, two to seven percent adoption uh that's higher than most other countries uh so that kind of lines up with my anecdotal experience uh like most people still don't know about bitcoin in the country or they don't own bitcoin they think oh what's that it's crazy magic internet money but like on an average i think el salvador is ahead of uh, most other countries this podcast is brought to you by our lead sponsor, EMR Tech. EMR Tech manufactures high-quality, high-powered red light therapy devices. In my opinion, red and infrared light are two of the biggest nutrient deficiencies in our modern society due to our indoor lifestyles. Red light therapy devices like the ones from EMR Tech can help combat that by providing high-powered red light while being indoors. I personally use mine every morning and every evening. Red and near-infrared light is extremely beneficial for energy production in our body because it boosts mitochondrial function and penetrates deep into the cell. It is also extremely beneficial for skin health, eye health, as well as our circadian rhythms. And this is actually pretty much why I bought everyone in my family an EMR Tech red light therapy device for Christmas. EMR Tech panels are low flicker, low EMF, and use targeted wavelengths such as 830 and 630 nanometers, amongst others, to get extremely effective results. For more information, go to emrtech.com and use our code DRADIO10 for 10% off your order. That's emrtek.com with our code DRADIO, D-R-A-D-I-O, 10 to save at checkout. And then maybe the next question to wrap up on El Salvador is, yeah, the, the sentiment around Bukele. So we just had re-election, 80 plus percent, I think. Um, it seems like very unanimous. But I do remember, like, I think it was in 2021, maybe, like, I had, um, I rented out my car and the family I picked up was from El Salvador. And I was asking them about Bukele and Bitcoin. And they were still like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. He has a lot of big ideas. But now, I mean... If you look at the track record, it's phenomenal, everything. But, you know, he has this very 
rough picture in the West and, and all the mainstream media. So, so as someone who's been there for quite some time, what is, you know, the average sentiment there around him? Cause I assume it's extremely positive, but it's always good to hear it from a more trustworthy source than, than myself. Yeah. The locals absolutely love him. I've, I, I think I found one person in El Salvador who was cautiously optimistic about Bukele. Everyone I've met has absolutely loved him. I, I, I'm aware of the argument some people make and they say uh, the way that he cleaned up the crime, it, it, you know, maybe it's not the best for human rights, so to say. And, you know, maybe he's got a little bit too much power. And I can see that argument, but I think El Salvador is a pretty unique case. Uh, they're pretty much overran by very violent criminals uh, who have a history of doing really really disturbing things in the country to local everyday people so like it's, it's a tough argument but i everybody that i met over the past couple of years has absolutely loved bukele like i haven't questioned anything about him about what he's doing which sometimes makes you pause like hang on a minute he, he does have a lot of power should we be cautiously optimistic but just recently i met somebody the very first person who was like hey yeah you know he's great he's doing a lot of good things but we need to be careful so I, I, that was just an interesting side note i only i met them very recently uh, but overall everybody in el salvador absolutely loves it so you can i this is one of the uh the rare times that you probably can trust the mainstream media and the polls that we probably do see circulating twitter where they say that bukele does have like a 90 percent approval rating uh, from all the people I've talked to on the ground, that kind of matches up with that experience. And I'm trying to, like, I ask as many people as I can. I ask them, what do they think about Bitcoin? Uh, what do they think about Bukele? Because uh, I really want to learn more about the country. Uh, so they, in the country, they love uh, Bukele. And then whenever we're outside the country, anywhere in Latin America, whenever, like, obviously you get into an Uber, they ask you, okay, where are you from? Uh, where's your girlfriend from? Whenever the girlfriend says, oh, okay, I'm from El Salvador, straight away the person will say, ah, oh, Bukele, ah, oh, Bukele, I love your president. And it's like literally everywhere we go, it, it actually surprises us. Like Colombia, Argentina, uh, Mexico, even in Portugal recently, uh, someone was like, oh, yeah, I know Bukele. He's uh, this young, cool president doing uh, cool things in Latin America. So like, uh, Bukele's support in the country and outside is uh, huge and honestly surprising. Yeah, I think he's really like shaking things up, right? And it makes you think as well, and I'm curious your opinion here is like, what is an effective government? Like what, what does an effective government look like? Because as a Bitcoiner, you know, you could be like full on anarchist, like tear it all down, or you can be, you know, libertarian, or you can actually, I mean, like safety and people have talked about, you know, when there's someone who is in power, almost like a monarch, or, you know, you could call them a dictator, but if they're for the people, then, or they're a king, whatever, that's probably the most effective way. But then the problem is long term that I see is like, you just, you know, whenever that guy is gone, and maybe it's his son or, you know, gets kicked out for some, you know, things could change in the negative very rapidly. So I'm, I'm curious how this has changed your perspective, because obviously you grew up in Australia, similar to the U.S., very westernized government thought uh, that we've kind of been educated on our whole lives. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, it's like my two favorite countries uh, kind of like I and they, my two favorite presidents around the world have kind of very different approaches so in el salvador you have a uh you have bukele who probably has a, a lot of power and he's kind of like kind of grown the state 
to improve the country for the people, which again, it's a very interesting approach. And it looks as if uh, it's going to be something different that Javier Mille does down in Argentina. He looks to be someone who's actively trying to shrink the size of government. I think he's already gotten rid of over 50,000 government employees in the, in the first uh, month that he's been in office. And he wants to shrink the size of the state, but also do that for the people. By obviously, uh, that's obviously going to help with inflation and the, the money printing crisis over there in uh, Argentina. So I have no really strong opinions on government structure. I, I listen to all of the arguments. I, I think Safety might be on something uh, there when he's talking about uh, monarchies and uh, you know, I'm very sympathetic uh, to Svetsky's view that democracy is a shitcoin. I can definitely see how democracies are a shitcoin. Uh, like, I don't think it makes sense that, uh, you know, the masses get to decide what form of slavery that we go into. Like, it, it's not this, you know, it doesn't matter whether you vote left or right or red or blue, Democrat or Republican. Uh, nobody actually wants to shrink the size of government and take away the money printer. Like that's the only thing that matters. So the way I look at governments in the digital age is uh, you're only going to be successful if you actually attract business and uh, you know, uh, wealthy nomads to your country uh, to actually bring Bitcoin into your borders. Uh, so I think it uh, looks as if Bukele and Millet have kind of read the book, The Sovereign Individual. Um, and I think that's kind of, I, I think that'll be really interesting to see uh, what way different governments go. But one of the reasons I escaped Australia permanently and I, I, I escaped it with the intention of not going back is I expect these large Western nation states with a lot of government debt to only go one way. As more and more people leave their borders, they're going to have to become even more tyrannical and squeeze even more taxes out of the people who remain there. And that's going to cause more people to leave. And the more people that leave, the government's going to have to squeeze even harder, raise taxes higher, print money more, inflation is going to get worse. And it's just going to be this perpetual kind of feedback loop. So I see the Western nations, uh, they've already wrote, written the check. Canada, America, Australia, New Zealand, they've got this enormous debt bubble. Oh, Europe, Europe's just as bad. They're even worse possibly. Uh, and they, you know, they've kind of like, they're only going to go one direction. So I think uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, governments uh, kind of evolve over the next 10 years or so. Yeah, no, we're in some really interesting sort of calm before the storm times, or I guess in some mm. sense you could say we are actually like actively in the storm, but it could get a lot more hairy out there. And it's really interesting because one thing I think about is, I mean, personally, I, I sort of have a naturally pessimistic outlook on certain aspects of society. Um, and I've sort of given up on the idea of like, we can save everybody if we just get everybody to think or like think critically or do X, Y, Z on their own. And so we've had a lot of discussions about like, you know, maybe if we can just save five or 10% of people or get people to open up to these sort of alternative ideas around like finance and health and all these things, maybe we can sort of have like a sect of people that sort of save like humanity or, or whatever that looks like. I sort of love your idea on the, or on the, on the idea of like educating the populace because it seems like your experience, like, in El Salvador and maybe some of these other countries that like people are aware of certain ideas, but it's like creating a meaningful educative space for people to take action for themselves. Because I've really come to that conclusion that I can't rely on someone that like putting one person in Congress or whatever is not going to change the scope of everything, at least here. So I'm sort of in that mode of I sort of need to save myself. 
and the people that I love and my like sort of tight knit community and then maybe build out from there. But I'd love your thoughts on how can we educate a populace on these ideas to a meaningful level that creates systemic change? Or is it just sort of like we got to focus within our communities and try and talk to the people we can that we think we can kind of get on board and then sort of build small and go from there? Yeah, so Alex Svetsky's, uh he's going to get a couple of mentions in this interview, but he wrote a really interesting uh, a series of articles a while ago talking about the remnant and the masses. And it's kind of based upon this idea that essentially the masses don't matter. So that 80% of people in society are just going to default to what's easiest. They have very average motivation, low motivation. Uh, and, you know, typically they're not the innovators. They're not the, you know, the Steve Jobs or the uh, Elon Musk's, uh, we, depending upon how you feel about Elon Musk or, you know, the Bezos's, the people who create really great businesses. Uh, like they're the people who actually change society. Like Henry Ford said, if I had have asked the everyday person what they wanted, they would have told me they wanted faster horses. This is how most people think. They, 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 they're, not, they're not motivated to change their life. They just want to default to what's easiest. Ah, I just want to go to work, bro, and work my nine to five and get a paycheck. Uh, so, but I am really, I think we should be focusing on that 5% or that 20% of the population who think a little bit differently. And they're the kind of people that can be motivated to be kind of pushed in a certain way that are going to change society. So I think the best thing, uh, like I'm probably in the Bitcoin space and I feel like I'm focusing my energy on the thing that I think can have the most amount of change and that is by taking the money printer away from the government i think that once we do that maybe the entirety of society can go through this cultural revolution uh like obviously it's, i don't think it's coincidence that we saw the renaissance in the 1600s uh when we were actually uh, on a gold standard uh using the florin as gold money for hundreds of years uh, so i feel like the best way we can help the masses is you know by implementing this new monetary system with bitcoin and i i don't think until things really change for a long time uh that the masses are going to kind of notice they're not going to notice uh the transition they won't notice until we're actually probably using bitcoin on an everyday uh on an everyday basis uh and i i don't know maybe i've got a question for you guys i'd be really interested because you guys are probably a little bit more interested in the health rabbit hole than myself but you know, maybe the reason that 80% of society is so numb and so unmotivated today is because they've been poisoned with industrial fiat food for the past 100 years with seed oils. They're eating these, you know, quote unquote diets of uh, carbohydrates and all of this crap. I, I'd be interested in your guys' thoughts. Do you think we'd see more motivated individuals if they were actually eating real food and real nutrition? Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. Oh, um, that's a good point. Honestly, I completely agree with Svetsky. And, and you just see it even within the diet space and the health space, um, even in the Bitcoin space, to be honest. You, you do see people who, like, they can be, quote unquote, even a little bit free thinking, but they're still at the end of the day, like, looking for instruction, looking for someone to tell them what to do with their life. So that's kind of what's happened, you know, drastically in the health space for, you know, decades is everyone just listened to the recommendations and, you know, just bought what they were told. They avoided fat, they avoided red meat. Now their health is even worse. And then, you know, they're getting tired of it. But, but even in like the carnivore space or the vegan space, like they're just there to be part of something and be told what to do. So 
I think there's always going to be, yeah, that like 80% of whatever Svetsky calls them the lemmings, like people that are just like looking for instruction on how to live their life because it's too inconvenient. It's too much effort to go about and taking that individual responsibility. But for sure, the fact that, you know, there's so many toxins like health is at an all time low, like you have to be more deliberate than ever um, to be healthy, like to even just like have energy without 16 supplements, stimulants or whatever. Um, this is like a very rare thing in the Western world, right? Even for people in our age bracket, which is sad. So I think it definitely plays a big role. They're just zombified. Um, getting all their dopamine from you know technology and social media so they don't have any actual neural circuitry left to go and be innovative or or think critically so I, I think there's a point to that for sure but maybe throwing it back to you is like we have this you know grand potential bull run coming of them all we have the etf we have you know post 3.125 bitcoin you know block rewards we have all this tailwinds coming to bring in, you know, new people, normies, you know, boomers, whoever. Like, how do you think about like doing education around Bitcoin differently and maybe tailoring your content a little bit more to, to other folks who are kind of like maybe they've dipped their toes in the water? Like, let's say if all the Bitcoiners now is like half a percent of people like that, getting that other five to 10 percent who are like on the same wavelength, but not yet committed. How do you think about yeah, effectively educating about years, them? Uh, because I think we are going to see an influx of retail, but I think the the best, well, difficult. There's no best way to orange pill someone. Everybody's different. But I think some of the most effective ways to orange pill the largest amounts of people uh, is to uh, kind of like, you need to wrap up this uh, this Bitcoin orange pill in a digestible way. You can't just, you know, from day one say, okay, all of government's a scam. You shouldn't be paying taxes. If you hold dollars, you're a fucking supporting war in XYZ country. Uh, you know, you need to eat red meat and sun your balls or 24 hours a day. It's very difficult to kind of orange tool someone that way. So something I do with my content is I kind of like use like a clickbaity, uh, you know, mainstream kind of thumbnail and title for a YouTube video. Try to dress it up, edit it. Uh, so that the the high time preference uh, normies with their very lowered uh, attention spans can actually sit there and watch a 10 minute video. And, uh, but at the end of like each kind of video, I kind of like try to like say, okay, this is the problem in the world. Larry Fink's coming to buy all of the homes and RFK uh, presidential candidate believes that Larry Fink's going to own 60% of the homes in America. Like that's a very clickbaity topic. And I'll kind of like do a 10 minute video on that. And at the end of the video, kind of like say, okay, you know, Properties are shitcoin. Uh, properties worse than Bitcoin for X, Y, Z reasons. Uh, this is why Bitcoin is actually a better store of value than real estate. So, like, I'll, I'll try to make like multiple videos like that a week, just taking a mainstream topic like that and trying to slowly just insert orange pills at the end of the video that slowly wake and uh, wake people up uh, to Bitcoin because I think that's kind of going to be the most effective way uh, that we can educate the next wave of Bitcoiners. I, I think like like telling them to run a node and self-custody Bitcoin from day one, it's going to be very difficult unless they're kind of a little bit more invested uh, in what Bitcoin is. So it's something I really think about a lot uh, in regards to what actually pushes the, ne the needle in regards uh, to Bitcoin adoption. Uh, so that's kind of why maybe I spend so much time making YouTube videos uh, from multiple different YouTube channels because uh, I think YouTube's going to be the platform uh, to actually orange pill the next billion people. Like when the bull run starts, 
price of Bitcoin is in hundreds of thousands of dollars a coin. Most people aren't going to be Googling what Bitcoin is. They're probably going to be going to YouTube and, you know, searching what is Bitcoin on YouTube. And mm. I, I, I yeah. think one of the biggest problems right now is the fact that all of these crypto scammers are over there on YouTube, uh, you know, teaching people to trade with 100x leverage and uh, lock up their Bitcoin in fucking Celsius or BlockFi <laughs> or Voyager to get yeah, yield on their Bitcoin. Like, there's so many scammers over there. So I'm trying to combat all of that scammery uh, and trying to, uh, you know, slowly orange pill people on Bitcoin that way. I think that's our most effective route to do it. Yeah, no, I mean, I would totally agree. It's really interesting. I mean, it's the same way with like health things as well. Like I would just slowly like put these nuggets of wisdom into everyday people's minds, like just close friends and family. And it's been very interesting because at some point you find that sort of if you just put the messaging out there in a way that's consumable on a high level and you sort of sprinkle that nuance in, people will start asking you questions. And then that's when you really got their mind peaked in the right wavelength for you to sort of like mm. give them the full seed and sort of have that planted but yeah it's one of those things actually i'd love to ask you about that too is like being on youtube it's this i think it may be it may be the second largest search engine still maybe it's the first now i'm not sure but it's so it's way up there as far as video goes mm. no one's competing with youtube really um on a long form basis yet and I don't see that changing anytime soon. But how do you combat this idea of like censorship on the YouTube platform where I feel like in a lot of senses, they're bought out on a, from a centralized system. So how do you combat that uh, with this information to reach the most people without so, having that issue? I think that's something I think about the a best, lot. Uh, the best way to route around it. Uh, is it uh, JP Sears? Uh, I hope I got his name right. Yeah. If, yeah, if you want yeah, to learn yeah, how to route great. around the YouTube algorithm and actually spread what we believe is the truth, uh, that probably contradicts the mainstream media, you know, uh, you, you got to use uh, sarcasm. I think that's a very easy way to get around the algorithm. If you talk like an NPC, uh, the AI script that is reading the YouTube script, it thinks that you're an NPC spreading the NPC message, which is brilliant. That's exactly what you want. But if you're using sarcasm in the video in your tonality of, uh, the way you're doing, or in JP's case, the way you're acting, he's a brilliant actor. Uh, you, your audience uh, gets the message. Uh, so I think that's probably the most effective way. But honestly, there's no good answer. It fucking sucks that we have to censor what we say online. It's absolutely bullshit. Uh, I'm 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 massive. I'm I'm bullish on alternative platforms. Like Nostra is a great alternative to X. Uh, Rumble and XYZ are great alternatives to YouTube. But there's just simply not the the network effect there yet. Uh, obviously, I'll, I'll log into Nostra a couple of times a day, check in on it. But uh, like I'm spending more time on Twitter, and the same goes for YouTube. I'm posting my videos on YouTube. I'm not posting enough on Rumble and these alternative platforms. So it really sucks. But you know, uh, that's that's uh, the cards we've been dealt at the moment. I don't think until we see like a uh, maybe until Klaus Schwab decides we need to uh, you know vaccinate the internet, like he's saying, and maybe we get this big cyber attack online. I, don't, I think it's going to take this really big thing to happen. This big black swan event to happen before people take the leap and uh, just just completely ditch YouTube and use an alternative platform. Yeah, I mean, it's just the reality of it. Yeah, I mean, it's just the reality of it. We, we're definitely, I'm most bullish on, bullish on, on X and Twitter from like the, I guess the larger centralized 
perspective Noster there's just too many hurdles for like Noster rumble and then again what are we trying to do we're trying to reach people who are like dipping their toes in the water want to learn more we already the all the bitcoiners you know that are on Noster or rumble like yeah they already kind of get it uh, i mean we're trying to reach them as well but like you said there's just a bigger pool um to swim in and it's just kind of the reality of it and I think you're spot on there. And that's something I, I talk a lot about with Bitcoiners, especially recently, is that in this upcoming run, I think we just need to the messaging and, and the audience needs to be very clearly defined because, yeah, we need to realize that probably most people are not going to want to self-custody and get a hardware wallet and, and really do everything that we think is like second nature and extremely important but they're still like could be very interested in Bitcoin and help drive adoption forward. So there is like a happy medium. It's not like a zero sum game where you have to be like full on cypherpunk maximalist. There's, yeah, there's room to be had there. And I think that's important not to neglect and to offer a helping hand. And, and that's why it's cool that there are a lot of solutions being created, but it starts with education first so i think it's genius i think it's something that we need to do a better job of probably myself is uh i don't know what you want to call it low to medium iq marketing is it's really like what it comes down to at the end of the day and appealing to the normies appealing to people who aren't like fully entrenched um and just starting with the basics right like it's so easy for us to just forget the the basics and rehash them but if someone's kind of new to this realm like they have to, to start, start there. there unless they've got a really good reason to start there so this is something i talk about a lot with uh, a bunch of the clients i've got on youtube uh like titles and thumbnails are absolutely everything so you have to think about you're trying to get somebody to self-custody their bitcoin like that's the aim of the game somebody's not using bitcoin unless they're actually self-custodying so that's the end result but you can't do it like a title and thumbnail saying how to self-custody your bitcoin safely and securely nobody's going to click on that. Like you're, you've got to think about who else you're competing uh, for attention for on the YouTube platform. Like you're competing against Mr. Beast, who's like blowing up rockets and, you know, f uh, flying Lamborghinis into these big ditches and grinders. Like this, like there's crazy videos and like, uh, like people spending millions of dollars on the YouTube channel trying to produce these like million dollar videos on YouTube. So like if you're trying, if you're in the Bitcoin niche or if you're in the health niche, you have to really kind of think about how do I make my video uh, invoke more curiosity so that somebody clicks it. And sometimes you have to use a little bit of clickbait or just kind of spice up your, your videos or your titles and thumbnails to get somebody in the door and, you know, actually receive the message and, you know, transform your health or, you know, uh, actually self-custody your Bitcoin. Uh, so like just, I, I think as educators quote unquote uh it's really cringy to even say but if you are trying to educate people on bitcoin or educate people on health you've got to really kind of uh strategize how you formulate your title and thumbnail like it's no surprise that people like mr beast literally spend hundreds of hours trying to pick the perfect title and thumbnail and literally spend uh like tens of thousands of dollars on multiple editors just making like hundreds of thumbnails for one video like that's all that matters and i think that's something a lot of people kind of miss that are in the space and especially as the bull run comes i think it's something we've got to really think about how do you make the topic or the video that you're doing really curious and kind of like uh, like if you if you do a video saying like uh, here's the reason uh, why eating saturated fat is more healthy than seed oils, 
like that's a good title it's probably a great topic that you're going to talk about in your video but you have to kind of say something like seed oils are killing you here are the three reasons to ditch them today like it's all about how how we package that educational message to compete with all of the scammers on youtube because it is probably the biggest platform but there are so many scammers who are probably using more clickbaity titles and messages that are going to appeal to the masses more like sadly most people like myself in 2017 i started learning about bitcoin by watching all of these scammers who were saying the next 100x bitcoin or the next 100x shitcoin is xyz like those videos of you know they're very easy to click on like they're getting a lot of marketing spend from all of these scammy altcoins that you know literally give these creators like twenty thousand dollars a month sponsorships to shill their garbage so they can spend the money on these uh thumbnails and highly produced videos so i i think uh we all need to think about how we are going to prepare for the next bull run because i think it's coming and i think making some small changes uh, i think we can certainly orange pill the masses faster than we would otherwise Yeah, I mean, I think the unfortunate part about any of this stuff is that you have the majority of people that are usually attracted to something that releases a quick dopamine hit. In some function, you're attracted to the quick fix, the three steps to X or, or something like that. I think about that a lot with video, and I've, I, I mean, I've been in the space long enough that I should be way better than I am but it just pisses me off so much that that's the way it is. But yeah, you got to lean into the game and then try and twist it in a way that you get the desired result uh, from your video. So that's actually a really good piece of advice for anybody writing any type of content or filming any, and really any type of content at all, whether it's literally an article to a video, it's all sort of like the same game in a different package. And like, I've heard Mr. B speak about that. And yeah, he like literally... He's evolved over time. Like, I think he's a little more lax than he's ever been because he just knows the game. But yeah, he would analyze the shit out of videos. Like, the, and, and that's why he can't talk about anything but YouTube because that's like his entire existence revolves around the whole methodology of how do you make a video every second watchable so that they only click off when it ends. And hopefully they click the next video. And it's sort of the same thing with all types of contents. Like you want to want them to stay on the platform. And so, yeah, it's definitely a tricky dance to play. Um, but I think you're right. It goes into all other facets um, of trying to get people interested in stuff. So, Tristan, I didn't know where you wanted to take this next. I, I could see your eyes. Uh, no no you're good i mean it's good it's good feedback for us i mean it's hard to be cringe but you kind of need to be a little cringe especially on youtube but i was just going to ask in general back to kind of like bitcoin adoption everything you know you've traveled a lot luke and you know we have this bull run pending how important do you think it is for bitcoin adoption to like increase on the you know day-to-day transaction level like obviously el salvador you're able to spend it pretty readily um, I don't know how it was in the rest of Latin America, but most places it's it's pretty challenging. So so how important do you think that is like going forward? And do you think we're we're pretty behind on on that, or do you think we're kind of in the right trajectory of growth for using Bitcoin on a day to day basis? Because this is one of the biggest criticisms, right? That people aren't really using it, so this is you know going to be a problem and, and it's not really yeah, money. Yeah, so I think yada, uh, yada. like obviously if something is going to be money, has to be a store of value first. 
like 5,000 years of history shows us you have to be a store of value before you're a medium of exchange. And like a lot of Bitcoiners don't want to spend their Bitcoin because, it, you know, it's a pain in the ass trying to replace your Bitcoin. Uh, so I, I, I think spending Bitcoin is important. I think uh, spending Bitcoin, there's more and more peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin communities popping up and they're actually popping up at an exponential rate. Uh, I, I did some, I did some uh, study looking at the exponential growth of peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin uh, communities. And like in 2019, there was like one or two, 2020, there was like two or three, 2021, there was like four or five. And then last in 2022, there's like 10 or 15. And then last year, there's like 30. There's peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin communities all around the world. Like uh, obviously you've got Bitcoin Beach in Alzante. Uh, you've got uh, the project in Madeira, where I'm right now. You've got, you know, Bitcoin Beach in uh, Brazil, in South Africa, like they're literally everywhere. Bitcoin Jungle, Costa Rica. So I think there are lots of peer-to-peer -peer communities, but I think overall, again, my kind of base case is that the masses simply don't matter. Uh, I think the masses are going to buy Bitcoin when it's millions of dollars per coin. My base case is, uh, you know, by about 2030, I think Bitcoin could be worth five to $10 million per coin and global Bitcoin adoption will still be less than 5%. Uh, and that's simply because the masses don't matter and uh, the big boys are simply buying all the available Bitcoin for sale. And when there's no Bitcoin left for sale, price is going to just stair step higher and you're going to discover what is the true price of Bitcoin. When there's no Bitcoin on exchanges, these exchanges can't play paper games and suppress the price of Bitcoin like FTX was doing in 2022. Uh, they're supposed to have 80,000 uh bitcoin that had zero so I, I i wouldn't be surprised if all the exchanges are doing that right now so uh sadly i like i think number going up is kind of what signals to the masses that there's something in bitcoin and i i i i, I see number going up is going to happen dramatically quickly and it's gonna i think it's gonna happen much faster than most people think it's good more recently people have been talking about this potential of number going up very quickly, very rapidly, like uh, Samson Mao, for example, he's kind of been talking about how we could see a $1 million Bitcoin very quickly. And I actually think he's on the money. Um, so yeah, so I, I think uh, the masses uh, spending Bitcoin in different countries in Latin America is getting better. Uh, I'm excited to go back to Argentina because uh, I'm interested to see whether there's more Bitcoin adoption there. Uh, I was able to buy fruits, veggies, and even get massages for Bitcoin in Argentina back in 2023. So I'm excited to head back there and see whether it's improved. But uh, sadly, I just think the masses are going to be a little bit late to the party. I think that's a good point. And I think it's like, yeah, it, you have to think about it from that greater context, right? So it's like, yeah, like we're saying, if, if 80 to whatever percent is like not... They're just kind of like not a lost cause, but they're going to do what they're going to do. And they're just going to, you know, be in their NPC world. Then, you know, the mass adoption is it's really never going to happen. I, I think that's pretty spot on. But it's like if we can build these sovereign communities like in these pockets, that's still very valuable depending on, you know, what happens with, uh, you know, with government interventions and everything like that. Um, it's it's just kind of what's what's going to happen. And I think it's spot on. So it sounds like you think the shattering of the cycles is probably uh, eminent with, uh, you know, this kind of, you know, outlook in the next couple of years. And yeah, it, 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 to me, it's just, I don't know how you could look at it and not see everything, not see all this momentum unfolding, but maybe what are, what are your biggest concerns? Um, maybe of the future CBDCs. I don't know if you've talked about that um, and, and your long-term outlook on like, 
where the most optimal places to live from like a freedom maximalist perspective because um i think ryan and i are in the same boat we're pretty like we're we're very much entrenched in the fact that we like where we live in the u.s you know we live in like red state areas like wyoming here is definitely like more on the you know top four bitcoin states if you want to call it that um and i think i would rather build a community here and like build the momentum but there's still all these forces you know potentially at a federal level that you have to fight that you could end up you know maybe losing maybe not um but then you know there's so much bullishness and you've experienced it firsthand in, in like latin america where you're kind of starting over and you can be completely outside of the west say in el salvador so i'm curious on your longer term outlook on like yeah so i think if you're going to be in the west i think the red states in america are probably some of the best uh places to be i know i trigger a lot of people uh when i say the west is a shit coin and you know escape the west and move to latin america but i i I should probably be a little bit more nuanced and add the caveat some of the red states are good uh you know in in saying that it it looks as if there is a concerted mission to destroy everything about america like i'm not even going to get into immigration and everything else but i i think like I'm still cautious of like building a base long-term in the red states of America, just because like, I think there is a concerted mission to, uh, you know, attack freedom. Like if we had this globalist movement to try to implement CBDCs, I'm personally bearish on them, but I I'm bullish on their, uh, on their motivations. I think they're going to try very hard. Uh, so, uh, that's why I prefer to be a little bit more mobile um and so uh where do i like to live uh like i think if you're in a blue state in america or if you're in uh europe uh you know uh, australia new zealand canada it's an absolute no-brainer you move to latin america non-negotiable like you're you're gonna have more freedom you're gonna have better lifestyle better weather uh and everything's gonna be 50 to 60 to 70 to 80 percent cheaper than what you pay for uh in your local country like it's an absolute non-negotiable uh like people who pay 50 percent of their net worth uh in taxes in let's say i'm going to pick on australia um and they live in a cold part of australia so shit weather they lose 50 percent of their money in taxes they pay an outrageous amount of rent on their local home that's ridiculously overpriced at bubble valuations like what are you doing why are you still sitting there working 50 60 hour weeks being a a desk monkey in a, in, a, in a prison in a country that legally locked you down for literally months at a time in 2020 and 2021 it's madness absolute madness so i'm very bullish on living in latin america um this episode is brought to you by wyoming based my new apparel company that is focused on providing high quality natural fiber based products using 100 percent u.s supply chains our first two products the 100% wool everyday beanie and 100% wool rib sweater are proudly made right here in Wyoming using local wool. The wool is low itch, high quality and durable, naturally antimicrobial and way better for your health and the health of the planet. If you want to support a local US brand and are tired of supporting woke outdoors companies that shield plastics, Check us out at wyomingbase.com and pre-order your sweater and beanie today. Uh, Argentina, uh, Colombia, two of my favorite countries uh, in terms of cost of living, uh, plus pretty good weather. 
Argentina is a little bit cold in winter. So I'm planning on, I'm going to have to live in Argentina for seven months a year in the next two years because I'm going for residency. I want to get uh, a passport in Argentina. So I'm planning to uh, live in Argentina seven months a year when it's hot and then maybe live in a Colombia uh, or in El Salvador for three to five months a year where it's a little bit warmer or maybe Europe. Europe's pretty nice. Um, so that's where I'm most bullish on living. Um, oh, there's so many questions. Uh, bearish on CBDCs, uh, bullish on Latin America, uh, personally bearish on Asia, controversial take. So I know lots of people in the kind of uh, digital nomad space are bullish on Asia. I'm not. Uh, I'm cautious of shit hitting the fan again very quickly. I don't want to get too conspiratorial, but uh, like in Australia, the borders close very quickly. Uh, I just recently did a video on my like two-year anniversary when I escaped Australia, and I went back and had a look at when I got my passport. I applied to get my passport in like uh, in January 2020 before the lockdowns even happened. I could see I could see it all come in very quickly. Uh, you know, the whole as soon as they said 14 days to flatten the curve, you know, lockdown. I could see it was not going to be 14 days to flatten the curve. So I tried to get my passport super quickly, but I didn't actually receive the passport for a couple of months later. So the borders were closed and it was too late. So the moral of the story is, I don't think it's crazy to think something like that could happen again. The borders closed very quickly and being in Asia is a place I don't want to be. Uh, there's far too much compliant attitude. Everywhere's an island. So if borders are closed, you're on an island, bro. Good luck getting out. Uh, I, I Trust me, I was in Australia for two years during a lockdown. I thought of every XYZ scenario to escape. And aside from getting on a boat, very difficult. Um, so Asia is a similar boat. That's why I'm so bullish on Latin America because you can hop a border very easily in Latin America. Like it's, you won't believe how open the borders are in, in Latam. Sometimes they don't even ask you for stamps. You can just go back and forwards, do whatever you want between countries. Um, so yeah, very bullish on Latin America. Did that answer the question? Uh, most bullish on Argentina, Colombia, uh, from all aspects of life, uh, weather, cost of living, uh, the people are more friendly. Uh, like, like if you're a single dude in America, you should definitely look at living in Latin America. I think that's a big upgrade in life. Uh, you, there's far less woke uh, BS in Latin America. The girls are far more traditional. Uh, so I personally prefer that. Um, you know, the, I, I think uh, I, I've been in Australia for 24 years. I know that many myself and my friends have been brainwashed on these social media platforms. I think there's been lesser degrees of brainwashing in Latin America. So you're going to see more traditional values and uh, just better family, uh, better family values. So, uh, yeah. Was there anything else in the question I missed? I mean, that's good, good coverage, right? Like, I mean, that's a good, it's a good coverage, right? Like, these are important topics and one that I talk about often, especially. But, I mean, I'm personally very bullish on, on Wyoming because I, I agree with you. I think if you live in a city – in the u.s or a blue area or just like yeah like a pretty populated area i think it's over it's like a lost cause like it's pretty shit quality of life to be honest like, i couldn't agree more but if you kind of get in a rural setting and have your own community and you're like deeply immersed in nature it's a bit different story also uh well you grew up in australia even though you're european you'd be fine in the cold brother i promise you you can you can do the cold you got you know, fair skin, but it's, uh, it is nice to have good weather and, and it's pretty sunny here as well in, in the Rocky mountains, but you know, maybe just the, the devil's advocate and, and I'm going to pick uh, Argentina because there are some, you know, people who say I have a, one of my good buddies is like Malay is too good to be true. It's like controlled opposition. 
what happens if you're living in Argentina, you get the passport, and then all of a sudden, you know, the coin flips and it's back to like, you know, five years ago and inflation's rampant, corruption's like rampant. And then you're kind of in this, you know, you left the US or you left somewhere. You know, that situation could not be ideal either. It could be more in, uh, unstable. And then if you want to raise a family, you know, you want some kind of stable environment. So great question. curious uh, on your thoughts uh, so on that. Firstly, on the Millet topic, uh, I'm certainly open to the situation that Millet is a bad faith actor. Uh, I've seen, you know, question, him do very questionable things. I've seen him, you know, wave a Ukraine flag, an Israel flag, you know, seemingly supporting war. I've seen him, uh, I made a video on him way back in 2023 saying, why is Millet on the World Economic Forum website? Uh, so I've done a little bit of digging into Millet's background. I, I found the only reason he is on the WEF's website is because he attended a conference in 2014 in the WEF. I watched the entire hour 20 interview and he essentially told the World Economic Forum to go shove it, which was promising. So I, again, I, cautiously optimistic on Millet. Uh, he could, so let's assume you uh, leave America, you go live in Argentina. Yes, you're enjoying probably better weather and, you know, cost of living is literally 70% cheaper. People don't believe me when I say that, but it is literally 70% cheaper in Argentina. You cannot spend more than $15 buying at a, like a high tier steakhouse in Argentina. It's, it's incredible. Uh, so, uh, but what happens if you get there, all's great. Millet flips and he turns it into a tyrant. Government gets overran by another WEF controlled prime minister. What do you do? This is another reason I'm very bullish on Latin America because there are other great options within striking distance. So you could do Colombia. Uh, maybe Colombia is okay and, you know, cost of living is still significantly better. Weather is still significantly better than, than America. Um, yeah, so I, that's why, I, like, I'm always, I think we all need to be nimble this decade. Like, I think, uh, for me, the one of the reasons that weather is an absolute non-negotiable, because I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe... Uh, like we've been seeing more and more power grids uh, go down in America recently. I think if you're in a super cold or super hot place uh, where you need air conditioning or a heater to kind of be comfortable and stay alive, I think that could be dangerous. Uh, just, yeah, just we could even just argue from an incompetence standpoint, our governments are more incompetent. Maybe the energy grids are less stable due to incompetence not even start talking about malice or false flags or psyops um so that's another reason why weather for me is a little bit of a non-negotiable uh but yeah I, I think like argentina could go bad even el salvador could go bad i'm wildly bullish on el salvador i think bukele has the potential to be the best prime minister over the past couple hundred years like out of the world like i think i'm very bullish on him but Again, something could go bad in El Salvador. So, uh, again, this is why I'm bullish on Latin America. You could go to Colombia. You can go to Argentina. Uh, beautiful places in Brazil, even despite the violence. Like, living in Brazil is still great. Like, great weather, great culture. Por learning Portuguese is a little bit of a pain in the ass when no other countries speak Portuguese. I prefer Spanish. But, uh, but I think, like, yeah, I, I think Mexico, you have so many great options that, in my eyes, are such a big improvement on what you're going to get elsewhere that it's worth taking that risk. Uh, that's kind of how I see it. And like, once you do take the risk, like you're saving $50,000, $30,000 a year just in taxes once you've taken the risk. So things could go bad in Argentina after a year, but you've already saved $30,000 in taxes. 
it, it could be a pain in the ass moving to Mexico or Colombia, your plan B, but the way I look at it, I still think you're a long way ahead. Um, so, yeah, that's my thoughts. I think those are great points, really. I think being objective and understanding that mm-hmm. it's good to have optionality. I mean, you know, freedom is is optionality, really. So to me, it's like the best thing you could do is kind of like what you did as well. Um, and what I'm going to do next month is is go and visit these places, you know, see if you like it, see, you know, what it's like. Like if you don't, you know, don't take someone's word for it, like put in the proof of work and like go check it out yourself. See if you could live there, see if there's, you know, you can make friends within a community and then, you know, acquire a, a second home or like, you know, share a condo with someone like just in case if that's like your plan B or if it's your plan A long term, you need to go there anyway to suss it out. And yeah, I think it's great. I think it's very true. And you can never be fully bought in on on anything like something could always go wrong. Um, and yeah, you mentioned the grid situation. You, I think if you stay in the U.S., like you need to, you know, be a homesteader, and that's what I'm going to do. Is like, you know, be off grid and you know, fully self reliant. But even then, you know, something could happen, and you need to have a plan B, maybe even a plan C. So it's, uh, but it's fun because you know now, I don't mean just being on online, being in the Bitcoin space, the health space. It's like I actually think I could go to any country that you named, and I have friends there. So. You know, putting yourself out there is number one, because then it's like if I go to El Salvador, or I go to Argentina and Luke is there, he can show me the way, you know, he can kind of like give me the pointers on, on where to go, what people, where to spend Bitcoin, all this. And then it's just way more frictionless. So if you build a community online and reach out to people, they're going to be so open. And I've done that as well. And I'm looking forward to taking advantage of those connections in the next month and a half. So you know that that's how i see it right we, we don't know what's gonna happen the need to build community online i think that's really important aspect everybody should be taking more seriously it, it, it's funny like it yeah i i think that's something really good you're doing and something that i would continue to lean into because like you say you go to any country and uh boom you, you you've got a like-minded individual that you can meet and uh like i i i say this to some people and they still don't believe me but i honestly uh, have some of the best conversations in my life with complete strangers I've met on Twitter for 10 minutes. I meet them in real person in life and we could talk oh, yeah. hours and hours and hours upon them. Uh, and, you know, you just don't see that in your uh, local community where you grew up surrounded by NPCs. Uh, you know, maybe that's not the case for everyone, but I, I was surrounded by just brainwashed NPCs in Australia. Like it's, a, it's pretty much a, it's a fallen social estate and the the programming's pretty pretty bad over there. So uh, yeah, it's uh, very bullish on making friends online. And then uh, exactly, uh, if you are going to be in El Salvador, did you say you're heading down there in a, in a month or two? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So March, any other like eleven. Any other countries 12. in the region while you're there? Yeah, Costa Rica. We're going to go to Costa Rica as well after that. So uh, go to Bitcoin Jungle. Um, I'm excited. I've already reached out to some folks there. So yeah, I think, it, again, it's huge. It's just like, oh, like the first time I went down to Costa Rica, it's like, didn't really know anyone. But now it's like El Salvador. I'm already reaching out to like a handful of people, Costa Rica, a handful of people. And then now you've got me excited on Argentina now. And you're like one of uh, a couple of people. So might have to add that to the list Uh, at some point. El Salvador and Costa Rica are great for the community vibes, uh, so to say. Also great weather uh, year round. 
but I, yeah, I definitely recommend checking out Colombia and Argentina. Like the the cost of living, something. Okay. I've been to Colombia. I've been to Colombia and it was great. Yeah, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I like you know the mountains, so I'm almost like if I had to go, I would go to somewhere that there, there were mountains. Group. No, that's no, a, that's, that's a I would love to do that. Has to do that one, so. their, uh, do that once in their life. I, uh, I'm going to take the girl. I went there 2022. I'm going to uh, go back again just to take the girlfriend there. I think it's if you like mountains, you'd love it. Yeah. Well, Luke, I appreciate you so much coming on. This has been a blast. And yeah, we definitely need to, to link in person at some point this year in the near future. But where can everyone find your fantastic education on, on Bitcoin and yeah, YouTube so and on, I, on Twitter if next? If you type my very difficult to spell name into YouTube, you should be able to find me. And the, the same with Twitter. Um, I'm always talking shit on YouTube and Twitter and trying not to get banned on both platforms. So if you want to reach out, tell me I'm crazy. You can find me on those platforms. If you need help with growing your Twitter or your YouTube, uh, that's what I do so uh, I'm happy to help uh, gentlemen it was an absolute pleasure thank you for having me uh, I had a blast uh, and I hope we all have a great day appreciate you Luke thanks for tuning in everyone we'll see you next time